0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.
1: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think
2: find out how much at airbnb.com slash host what in the world is happening on wall street economic
1: indicators
0: who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature
1: this podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time. How are you, man? I'm very good. I'm very good. The course is doing a storm. The course is doing, yes. So thank you all very much, all those who joined me on Patreon to learn economics. Our new course is International Trade and Money. It's a sort of a brand new course, not unlike the course I give in Trinity, on what I would call the funky world of international trade. So what we're doing is we're moving, this course is, get, is bringing us towards crypto, but it's the whole history of money, where it came from, how it changed the world, et cetera. And one of the great things is to look at the myths. But this one is on the myth of barter. Do you know the barter, right? Barter's really hilarious, John. You know the economists say, yeah. oh yes, well, clearly you know, the, the world started with the barter.
1: I'd swap you a, a goat for, for, yeah. for a pound of sugar.
0: Exactly, right. A goat <laughs> for a pound of sugar. Economists have always maintained that this is how the commercial stroke monetary world started. There's no evidence. Really? Nothing at all? Nothing. There's no evidence that humans were terrorized by the notion of the mutual coincidence of one. So mutually, you need something at one time, I need something at one time. Never happened, right? It's a foundational myth in economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because of economists extraordinary weakness for ridiculous assumptions. So when they were trying to explain the monetary economy, they said, oh, well, let's assume that there was a barter and then there was a great leap of technological innovation yeah. to a well, financial economy. There's a certain amount of
1: sense in, in barter. You can imagine that it would work. But as you say, like...
0: There's no evidence. So if you, if you no talk evidence. to archaeologists, right, yeah. uh, anthropologists who are looking at various different, for example, very primitive tribes now, those that are still left, to try and get a sense of how we lived as hunter-gatherers. You know, all that stuff done not that long ago in Papua New Guinea, right? Yeah. How do these people yeah, live? Yeah, and, yeah. and Do they tell us about how we lived thousands of years ago? One of the amazing things is there's no evidence of barter. What there is evidence is trade. There's evidence of, you know, blockchain. The yes. Crypto guys keep going on. about. It. There's evidence of very, very, very primitive blockchain. So basically, over the course of a year, we, you and I would trade together, our mm. tribe and, and your tribe, right? And then at the end, you'd have like a ledger, like a blockchain. Yeah. You say, okay, man, you owe me all this stuff. Yeah. You say, okay, yeah. fair enough, and we pay up. So trade went not frictionless, but rather without friction until such a time as there became a payment day. So the idea that your tribe would rock up to us and say, listen, I'm starving, uh, I need some food, uh, but I can I can only give you a spear. And you're a lot saying, nah, nah, I want a yeah. spear today. Loads of spears. Loads <laughs> of spears. We're full on with spears. We're, we're long of spears, right? Uh, and you guys starve to death. It just never happened.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's kind of it's kind of the essential silliness of mainstream economics. So this particular lecture is on, it's lecture three in a 14 lecture course, is on the myth of barter. And again, if you want to learn economics with me, if you want to look at the notes if you want to look at the reading list, if you want to really delve in to what I would call practical, common sense, everyday economics, join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Take this course or take the last course, which again was another 10 lecture course on macroeconomics. That was up a little while ago. Have a look at that. Have a look at the new course. And you know what? Just learn economics into the last couple of weeks of 2021 and into the first couple of weeks of 2022. And you know, the great thing is, it's far better to learn together than alone. So let's learn economics together.
1: Mac, on last week's podcast, we talked a lot about the Fed and inflation. We did, yes. And and what they might and might not do and what that might and might not mean and all that kind of stuff. So this week we said we'd We promised,
0: uh, which is always a dangerous thing to yeah, do. Yeah, it is.
1: It is, it is. But we, we promised and we're going to deliver. Unusually. So unprecedentedly. I can't. Yeah. So we're going to go to the States yeah. and we're going to talk to Rob Armstrong.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk to Rob Armstrong because this is the issue that is spooking financial markets. And although sometimes financial markets seem really remote and it always appears like somebody else's business. Bizarrely, what does happen in financial markets percolates down very, very quickly to everyday wages, house prices, job opportunities, optimism, etc. So let's go to New York and let's talk to Rob. How are you, Rob? Not bad. What about you? I'm good. Is that a new beard since the last time we saw you? This is. I don't know. I think I have, maybe it's gotten a little longer or something? This is There's a sort of a pensive Ben Bernanke thing going on there. <laughs> Come on, man! <laughs> oh, you're you killing can, me with you that. Give us a lecture on you know monetary policy <laughs> in the Great Depression.
2: <laughs> you know there is one line. There is one line by Ben Bernanke that I always quote, which is. At one point, somebody basically asked him, you know, how does this QE thing really work? Some question to that effect. And he said, you know, we're learning by doing.
0: Oh, that really fills me with a huge amount of confidence.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So whenever I don't know what I'm doing and somebody asks me what I'm doing, I say, you know, I'm like Ben Bernanke. I'm learning by doing.
0: Yeah, I'm going to quote the great Ben Bernanke and I'm going to hide behind (laughs) that particular (laughs) So how, yeah. how is how is the States? How is everything? I see I see Biden is losing. Biden is not very popular. Yeah, what's going on there?
2: I mean, I think, well, you know, I'm not no political expert, but it seems to me we have a tradition of not liking our newly elected presidents that the, the honeymoon ends quite quickly here. And it's very traditional for the party that has just won the White House to get beat up a little bit in the elections that immediately follow.
0: It's an extraordinary for a country that's so fond of a prenup which you really are. (laughs) The honeymoon. Yeah, you might say, hold on a second. You can elect me here, right? But the prenup is you're going to love me for at least, you can't leave me straight away. You're going to love me for at least a year, but that's not the case.
2: And I don't know, how mad are people about how things ended in Afghanistan? I don't really know. How much are people feeling inflation? I mean, somebody once said to me, and I think this was smart, you know, when you ask the person on the street, how's the economy? They answer, according to two questions. One, have you, or anyone you know, been fired? And right now they're answering no to that. There's plenty of jobs. But all, you're also asking them, "What's the price of gas?" And the price of gas is up. And for Americans, that really matters. We drive a lot. So honeymoon over, embarrassing situation in Afghanistan, price of gas up. equals equals, we don't like the president.
0: And we're going to vote in Mates of mates, of the Last Guy.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, that's about as the most sophisticated political analysis I'm capable of
0: well, giving. Well, it's probably the it's most sophisticated really political analysis this podcast has ever imparted <laughs> uh, on the world. In fact, John and I are actually there. Just if you could see us, we're lying down. We're absorbing that <laughs> piece that peril of wisdom. This sort of, I don't know, Churchillian sweep of yes. I mean, if you
2: if you ask if you ask an Irish person, how's the economy? What do they start thinking about?
0: I think the price you, of houses. Price of houses, definitely. Price of houses. Yeah, and yeah. it's a very strange thing because, and this is where economics is kind of pathetically uninstructive to people, because GDP goes up as the price of houses go up, but yep. the people's perceptions of economic health goes down. As prices of houses yes. go up. So you have this inverse huh. relationship between, you know, GDP, effervescence, and the whole thing. I think Irish people would definitely look at the price of houses. Yeah. And I think but historically don't, don't our don't the people tax who rates own the too. houses feel great. Yeah, but they don't if they, the price of houses is
2: going up. It just matters if you're renting or owning. No, the people How that who own, own the feel.
0: houses never say it. Are you what she's noticed? Yeah, yeah. They disappear in all survey data. It's like, oh, I'm yes. okay, no, it's fine. They don't, because it's it's like anything, is that if things are going well, you shrug your shoulders. When things are going yes. badly, you shout about it. So I think yeah, there's an, there's, think an a, right. there's an asymmetry there. The other thing yeah. I think Irish people are sensitive to are certainly a certain generation, the generation older than John and I, which means there's only about four of them left in the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> The centenarians exactly yeah. is they worry about tax. There is a yeah. long historical anti-tax movement here, which was right. embedded in the 1980s when the tax rates, yes. particularly the income tax rates, were extremely high. I bet you your cousins and your in-laws down in Skibbereen yes. and down that neck of the woods. When you talk yeah. to them, that's another thing they'll they'll go on about, which is Got it. the taxes. So what interesting? There's always a party here usually a yeah. party the center right that will traditionally try and campaign on modestly low marginal income tax as their yes. ultimate as their ultimate yeah. electoral promise and i'm not too right. sure if that actually translates down to the millennials and the gen z's anymore i'm not too sure they're, yeah. not, they're that upset about that in fact many of them would say we pay a little bit more tax for cheaper houses if you can build them cheaper for us if you can build social houses But that's, Rob, it's a
2: really interesting question, because that's my, you know, in America, that's, you know, the, the, the generation of people in the center or on the right who are old enough to remember Reagan. I mean, this is what the Republican Party used to be for, was lower taxes. Yes. Like, if it wasn't bringing your taxes down, what was the point of the whole thing? You know, maybe we'd beat the Russians or something, and that would help a little bit, too. But it was, you know, that was what they were for was bringing your taxes down. And I don't know people who are 30 now. I don't know if they have that same obsession. I think that's probably a good question for America.
0: No, I, I don't think they do. I, I look at it in Ireland and I think that your, your, your millennials are not head up about taxes in the same way as the older folk because the ideology has shifted. The ideology has shifted in Ireland and all around the world. The ideology isn't really left or right or rich or poor or urban or rural. It's kind of insiders and outsiders. And when you are, uh, you can be an insider on the left or the right. That's the interesting thing. Uh, uh, But when you're on the outside, you know you're on the outside. So I think that's a lot of our our politics is Mm. migrating towards your politics, which may well end up in this strange soup of culture wars, hopefully not here in the same way yeah. as has. So let's talk about the markets, the economy. Let's do. let's do our stuff. Let's do our stuff. So what's rocking your world over there and the, the world of well, finance? Well, uh,
2: for today, I mean, I think this is a story that you and your listeners might appreciate. I wrote about this thing called Zillow.
0: Oh, what's that, that? You might
2: not know about. In America, so, Zillow is the dominant website on which people look at houses. And you know, it's a listing site. And it was most famous because for basically every property you could think of the address, it would give you a price estimate on it. So you could kind of look up your own house and it would give you a price estimate. And it also had listings of all the houses that were actually for sale. And you could go look and it, it sort of consolidated that space and it made money basically by providing leads to, to estate agents, to real estate brokers. And about three years ago, Zillow said, actually, we have so much data and so much insight from running our website and doing some businesses associated with it, that what we're going to start doing is actually buying and selling houses. And we're going to provide people who want to sell with a faster, more certain experience. We're going to give them a very quick offer on the price of their house. We're going to get them out of there. We'll take it into our inventory. We'll sell it. We'll get you going. It'll all be, you won't have to have people traipsing through your house. And yesterday they announced after three or four years of trying this and, and you know talking about what a great business is, that actually the price of houses was quite volatile. And maybe they better get out of this business. <laughs> this <laughs> and, is you know, I this don't is... have to tell an Irish audience that if you take your eye off the real estate market, it will hand you your ass. But uh... <laughs>
0: absolutely right. And it's, <laughs> it's also that migration from broker to principal is yes, usually a dodgy one.
2: A dodgy one. And even that, you know, a migration from the frictionless world of the internet to meat world. The world of actual houses that cost things, and you have to hold an inventory, and that have carrying costs, and maybe you have to renovate them. And the reason I think this is an important story is not because Zillow is the most important business in the world. It's because it's an interesting example of a couple of things. One of which you just mentioned—you know, the the move from uh, agent to principal, the move from the internet to the real world, and just the idea that it is so common out there now that big data. Is going to be transformative for everyone. And the one who has the best data is going to be able to, as it were, beat the market. And and Zillow did have better data than everyone else. They did have their eyes on this market, but, but it still proved to be too hard. And it wasn't a huge shift in the real estate market that ended up blowing them out. You know, prices had been going batty and they sort of had, they cooled a little in on a national level in August and September and that was enough to suddenly leave this company with a half a billion dollar loss on inventory they'd paid wow. too much
0: for well you know what i would say rob i would say mm. that it's not big data in housing markets that should define your accuracy or your edge it's actually big vocab to describe emotional states of the human being so if you start yes. with optimism then you can go to exhilaration then you can go yes. to confidence then you can go to euphoria these that data set is a much accurate, more accurate set of looking at the way of housing markets go up and down and up and down but what i'm interested in is even in a bull market for housing a company yes. like this can lose money
2: yeah yeah and you know i mean you can look at the chart i mean the, the home prices on the national level You know, went from the mean existing home sale price. I'm going to get the number slightly wrong, but it was something on the order of 350,000 in July, and in September it was 330 or 340 or something. So it was a it turned down. But I think one thing about this is what markets are you in really matters. So who knows what micro market they were in? Somebody in the office said, geez, this is like the, that Bear Stearns hedge fund. And what they were referring to, to readers who don't know, is the sort of first shot that was fired in 2008 was everything seemed to be going great. And then this little hedge fund that was financed by Bear Stearns went under. And it was like, hmm, I wonder what they were up to. Do you remember this? There was a couple yeah. of these funds at the very beginning.
0: They happened in August of two thousand and seven, and I know yeah, this and everything was cool, right? And everything was hunky dory. And in fact, in fact, the man that whose name we didn't smirched, but clearly complimented at the top, Ben Bernanke, said, "Don't worry, guys, everything's cool. I've got this.
2: Everything's cool." <laughs> right?
0: So and I don't know that
2: that's. I don't know if my colleague is right, but right, <clears throat> we have a even beyond the housing market, we're at a moment right now where we've had, we've been sending that staircase of emotions that you've been talking about. And we can talk about meme stocks or Bitcoin, stocks in general, house prices. And you know, one of the questions that's on people's minds is when do we go from the top of the emotional staircase to the slide down the other side? It's a mug's game to, to try to guess when that's going to happen. But I can tell you that, that this is a question that is on the market's mind.
0: So when you're when you're talking to Wall Street players, not you know, not, not just real estate buyers, when you're talking to everybody, mm. is there a sense in the States that something yes. is afoot? That you know, the idea that interest rates will stay lower, yes. for, longer, might not lower necessi- for longer, might not necessarily be a great bet that there is this effervescence in certain markets, yes. that as you said, Zillow, this company, that we thought yes. had the best data, and also we probably thought had kind of the best balance sheet, transpires yeah. of a very fragile balance sheet, like yeah, a hedge yeah. fund. Is that what you're, yes. you're kind of... A- I,
2: I, you know, I mean, the great argument, so stocks by traditional metrics, for example, as houses do, and a lot of other assets do, look very expensive. And the question, and I think we talked about this term when I spoke to you last, is the question is TINA. And you know what TINA stands for, which is there is no alternative, which means in a world where bonds are yielding plus or minus nothing, and international stocks you don't want to get involved with, and goodness knows what's going on with China. Yeah, stocks are expensive, but what else are you going to do?
0: Right, right that you was, got to own something. You got to own something. Right. I remember. <laughs> T- so the earnings
2: yield on stocks is still higher than the significantly higher than the yield you get on bonds. So what are you going to do? You're going to buy bonds? You're going to sit there in cash? You know, I, I think that's that's the that's the debate that has been on Wall Street's mind now for even a, a year or two.
0: Now, imagine you take that mindset, that Tina mindset. Yeah. Uh, I always always remember Mrs. Thatcher was very fond of. Tina uh, when it came to the miners' strike, when it came to the Falklands. Her default position was always, you know, there is no alternative. But take Tina, because Tina is a state of mind rather than a financial set of numbers. And add into Tina a central bank that gets spooked, possibly, by Mm. early doors inflation and says, we may well have to at least bake in Higher rates of interest looking at in the next two or three years than we yep. thought otherwise was the case. What happens to Tina in that environment where the cost yes. of finance becomes materially higher? Because right. so when things what are- you're talking about.
2: Yeah. yeah. So if inflation really gets going, uh, then the Tina argument falls apart, right? Because nominal bond yields go up first. Yep. Right. So the price of just living gets expensive. The price of food and fuel and everything else gets expensive. Nominal bond yields go up first, uh, which means you still might have negative real rates. But eventually, or at least traditionally, eventually real bond yields, in other words, bond yields minus the rate of inflation, turn positive again. Because investors want to be compensated for future inflation risk, not just the inflation risk they see now. So they want to build in positive returns to their bond returns, real returns. And then then you said, well, maybe it's not so bad to own a bond all of a sudden. And the Tina story falls apart. So then you are off into the debate about inflation and central banks and how this is going to go. And are, are we seeing one step function change in prices? Or are we getting into a Cycle of raising prices,
0: and what's your sense, Rob?
2: Oh, I mean, I, my sense is I wish someone s- smarter than I would just tell me the answer to that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, so I, I could, the argument for it, it's just going to that we're obviously there's inflation now. We all there's no argument about that that we have you know a lot of prices are up. It, the, the argument, I guess, that it's going to be a one timer is that it's driven by Supply problems that we've all heard a lot about, and that those won't go on forever. And you know, we know it's feeding through to wages, but so everything will take a one-time jump up of whatever single-digit percent, and then we'll be done when the supply problems subside. I I don't see why that can't be. You know, why why that has more or less the
0: Fed's argument. That's more or less the Federal Reserve's argument.
2: It's the Fed's argument. And you, I think you and I are close to the same age. And you know, we were all when we were when we were very naughty and our parents wanted to scare us, they would talk about wage price cycles and that then we would go hide under the bed because the big wage price cycle was going to come get us. But I think, you know, uh, you know, there's the seventies and everything like that, but um, maybe we don't have a cycle in which case. um,
0: It just goes away. You stay under the bed, you stay under the bed long away and it goes away. You stand
2: and it goes away. You know, so uh, but there's definitely economists out there, especially older economists who are still worried about it. So, you know, Larry Summers, our former uh, Treasury secretary and former president of Harvard, you know, is storming around the internet telling anybody who, who will listen, it's the Fed is way behind the curve and this is dangerous and we're going to have a real problem here. So, and I'm quite certain Summers is smarter than I am. So uh, I'm not going to discount his argument either.
0: Well, what is interesting is the way in which each generation, we'll conclude here, but it's it's interesting that yes. basically a lot of intellectual thought is fashion. Yes. Uh, it's a bit like flares versus drain pipes. Correct. It's a bit mods versus rockers. You know, it's either Led Zeppelin or folk or punk versus, you know. So what yeah. you actually, your suite of beliefs become quite embedded In your sense of yourself and that's very prevalent in economics and right now i think
2: there's a lot of young economists or you know and financial journalists who see in the argument about central bank monetary policy an embedded argument about economic equality and they say the fed should push harder on the employment mandate the full employment mandate than the price stability mandate because the Fed needs to be thinking about we have a terribly unequal world, and if the labor market runs really hot and workers can demand a little more all of a sudden, good yeah exactly <laughs> We're around for that let's have more of that, and uh. Again, I'm just the journalist here. It's hard for these. These are serious economic questions that I don't feel comfortable concluding, but that's where the debate is at.
0: On right the basis now. that if we conclude this, you and I have no jobs. So you can't be concluding these discussions. Oh, okay. We have a best <laughs> Let's interest. Keep going. Exactly. It's just muddy the water. Money the water. As we can. From poor old John is sitting <laughs> over here thinking, you know, one are these guys, John, you were.
1: Rob, I just wanted to ask you just what is the view in America, the punter's view in America of cop 26 or does that figure in the conversation Mm -hmm. at all
2: well i mean i can't i can't give you a a sort of man on the street or culture-wide view on that you know i live in the new york city bubble it's a liberal bubble and you know it's journalists and so forth and you know i don't think uh, i don't think it's because there's so much going on it hasn't been terribly top of mind with the people that i to. It's on the agenda, but not at the top. Right. How's that?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that actually makes an awful lot of sense.
0: Sufficiently evasive to get a job in the Financial Times. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, hold on a second. I just have to go to the loo and then I'll think about that and I'll be back. But Rob, just before we go, on the yes. issue, there's like two old cynics here. On the issue of the generational shift, yes. we do know one thing about generational shifts Issue should typically be on the side of younger people because progress happens one funeral at a time. Now, in economics, does that mean that we're going into this new world of higher wages? I mean, it's, you know, higher wage inflation might be wage inflation to one person and economic justice to another. And if it's wage inflation to the over 50s and economic justice to the under 40s, well, then you know which way the world is going.
2: I think you, this discussion, in at least in the circles that I travel in, which were admittedly rather nerdy, this is a debate about MMT, modern monetary theory. And there's a lot of those under 40s who say all our life we've been sold this line that the government can only spend what it brings in in taxes. And, you know, we always have to be austere and careful. and By God, uh, the fact is in America, we have a printing press and until inflation tells us we have to stop using it and until demand for our bonds goes down, uh, we should be using that printing press and using that demand for our bonds until somebody tells us to stop. And all this austerity talk and fiscal responsibility talk was just the man trying to keep the people down. And that is a debate that happens very much on a generational divide. 35-year-old is willing to entertain the thought I just articulated. You talk to a 60-year-old with a job on Wall Street, and they think that's Satan talking.
0: Satan talking. Such a beautiful way to end. (laughs) Quasi-religious, slightly apocalyptic. Definitely, definitely... (laughs) Definitely gothic, and we're into gothic. Yeah, right. that's what we're
2: going for. We'll go for. It's been a pleasure talking to you, sir.
0: Yeah, Rob, we'll go for the gothic look. That's it. We'll talk to you all again. Right. Cheers, Valor. Cheers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress.
1: Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
2: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Yeah, Marco, I never had you down for a goth.
0: Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to dye my hair jet black. I'm going to wear white makeup. I'm going to listen to the cult. I'm going to play. Big eyeliner. Oh, big, huge eyeliner. Big eyeliner. She sells sanctuary. I'm going to wear the full cult sort of look. Yeah. And I'm just going to be like one of, do you know what's a great song about goths, right? Because you know goths always affected to be really down and, yeah. and very serious in life. But there's a great song by the Divine Comedy called The Happy Goth. And it's about an upbeat goth who's trying to pretend that she's really down in the world, but deep down, in goes, and inside, she's a happy goth. So I think for all you goths out there who are really trying to be, you know, negative and depressed and down and serious, listen to the maestro Neil Hannan's Happy Goth, and we'd all feel better. Just before you go, thank you all very much for supporting us on Patreon. And also, if you don't support us on Patreon and you want to learn economics, we have this fantastic new course, which has a video element, it has an audio element, it has all the reading lists, it has notes, it has all sorts of bizarre and unusual takes from the world of economics. It's called International Trade and Money. first three lectures are Humanomics, which is about putting humanity back into economics. Second lecture is the trading ape, the idea that we are actually hardwired to trade. And the third is the myth of barter. And of course, this is a 14 lecture series taking us all the way up to crypto. If you want to learn economics, join me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.